The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. As you know, you can listen to us every Wednesdays from 10 to 11. That's live, and at the end of the day, we archive the show. Uh, joining me this morning is Dr. Gary Small. Dr. Gary Small is a professor of psychiatry at UCLA, a New York Times best-selling author, and uh, the author of a new book called The Alzheimer's Prevention Program, Keep Your Brain Healthy for the Rest of Your Life. So we're going to be talking about that this morning with Dr. Small. He challenges the theory that Alzheimer's disease is an unavoidable part of aging and argues that uh, following his breakthrough program, you can delay the onset of the disease so most of us would remain symptom-free for the rest of our lives. Uh, my second guest is Bruce Rosen, and uh, he is... He also has a new book, uh, which we are going to be discussing, called uh, If You Ever Need Me, I'll Be There. And uh, this is a memoir and a journey of self-discovery. Um, but first, joining us is Dr. Gary Small, the Alzheimer's Prevention Program, Keep Your Brain Healthy for the Rest of Your Life. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Dr. Oh, thank Small. you. I'm delighted to be here. Okay, well, let's start right out with, uh, you know, your premise is that uh, we don't all eventually have to end up with Alzheimer's. There are ways to prevent it the onset of the symptoms, and if we do the right thing, and your book is the guide for doing that, that we, uh, we can prevent it. But before we get into it specifically, because not everybody, you know, they talk about Alzheimer's all the time, but I'm not sure everybody knows the definition of what Alzheimer's is, and also maybe the, tell us the difference between that and just general dementia, and I'm using that term kind of loosely, I know. This, this has got to be one of the most frequently asked questions, and, <laughs> and there is a lot of confusion, not just uh, among the public, but uh, even scientists and doctors disagree on this. I think uh, probably the best definition for Alzheimer's would be a buildup of abnormal protein deposits in the brain in areas that control memory and thinking. And you might have heard the names of these amyloid plaques and tau tangles, and they build up gradually, and they seem to disrupt the brain cell communication. Now... If that progresses enough, it takes away people's memory and their thinking abilities to the extent that they need help from others. And that's really what dementia is, so that your mental capacities are so impaired you need help from others. But there are a lot of different causes of dementia, although Alzheimer's is the most common cause. You can have small strokes in the brain, you can have head trauma, or you can have a reversible dementia if you take a medication that causes side effects. Okay, that's very, I mean, I think that's the best definition that I've heard, very clear. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> okay, so, uh, yeah, I hadn't really heard it quite, the, the definition given that way, so, okay, now we get it. it you know, we want to avoid that plaque, which just disrupts our, our memory and our thinking. Um, 
But what about the fact that, and as I've understood it, and this is kind of a general question too, that Alzheimer's is that specific reason for us to cloud our thinking as we get older is related to our genes. There's a genetic component to that, is, is, and how do we prevent that? Well, you know, there are rare cases where there is a strong genetic component. There's actually a genetic mutation that causes it. And in those situations, 50% of family members get the disease, usually at a young age, in their 50s. But that's very rare. For the average person, uh, genetics contributes, but it's not the whole story. Uh, there's a gene that we actually were involved in the discovery of, APOE, and 20% of the population has APOE4. It increases a person's risk, but it's not absolute. You could have APOE4 and never get the disease, or you could not have it and still get the disease. And studies have found that uh, even if you have APOE4, if you exercise, for example, you have less of that abnormal protein in your brain. So for the average person, genetics accounts for only about a third of what determines brain health. That means that two-thirds is non-genetic, and we have a lot of scientific evidence showing us that physical exercise, mental exercise, diet, and trying to manage stress better is brain protective and may delay the onset of Alzheimer's symptoms. All right, so your book and your research is supported by the National Institute of Health, so it has a lot of credibility. So let's talk specifically about, you know, your book, The Guide. I mean, what can we do? I mean, you mentioned specifically, I mean, yes, if, I mean, sort of the overall um, kind of factors for brain health seem to be the same kinds of things, at least according to your guide, that we would do for physical health as well. I mean, exercise, rest, eat, you know, eat well, yeah, sleep well, those is. kinds of things. Yeah, it's actually a blueprint, not just to protect your brain, but to protect your body. For example, two of the key Alzheimer prevention strategies, physical exercise and healthy diet, that will prevent diabetes. And we know from a recent study that people who get diabetes have a twofold increased probability of developing Alzheimer's. So you're going to protect your brain and your body, and essentially the program has two major components. There are the, the lifestyle changes to maintain brain health, and then there are the cognitive or memory techniques to compensate for age-related memory decline. And we know it's there. By age 45, the average person has measurable decline in their memory. And what are the symptoms of that? How can we tell at age 45? I mean, I, I, I mean oh. I'm over 45. I never thought okay, that. Okay, ever <laughs> misplaced your keys or left the house without your cell phone or... Uh, You're trying to think of a word you know. It's on the tip of your tongue, but But it just doesn't roll off. Haven't I done that at 35 as well? I mean, what's the difference? 45 is an average. (laughs) Okay. And by the way, there's a lot of reasons for that kind of memory disruption. Sometimes it's multitasking. Uh, We've done some studies on how digital technology affects the brain and our memory and so forth. So there's a lot of things out there to distract us. And what the Alzheimer Prevention Program does, it not only updates people on the latest research, but it puts it into a framework where it's practical. And you have a program, you have something that you can do to start protecting your brain right now. One of the things that you say is it's a personalized program. So what do you mean by that? It's a unique program. We can personalize the program for 
our whatever our unique needs yeah. are, or, or what does that mean? It means that there's enough flexibility that if you have special issues, you can tailor it to deal with that. Now, for example, about two-thirds of the population is either overweight or obese. That means you're going to need to modify your diet, increase your exercise to drop a few pounds because overweight and obesity increases your risk for Alzheimer's, but losing weight actually improves your memory. So the brain is quite resilient, much more so than people realize. And if we treat it right, it will respond right. All right, so that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, all right? So we should be the right weight or the appropriate weight for our height. Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay, that's one thing. Um, now, memory training. You talk about memory training specifically. What is that? So people hear a lot about mental aerobics and brain gyms. There's a lot of studies showing that if you go to college, you have a lower risk for Alzheimer's. They just engage in mentally stimulating activity. It protects your brain. Now that that evidence is good, but it's not. It's actually not as strong as the evidence that physical exercise protects your brain. But still, we've done studies where we put volunteers in a functional MRI scanner, and we give them memory exercises, or just have them search online, and we can really fire up those neural circuits. Uh, and this is in older people, so an older brain is still a, a responsive brain. So that's fine to do brain aerobics, and, and we recommend that. But the kinds of brain games and mental exercise we're talking about for memory are, are very targeted. Uh, they help people with the common age-related memory complaints. And actually, this is the first time there's a book that addresses the four most common complaints. Right, let's talk about those, because sure. I'm in that category, and okay. so are a lot of my colleagues and friends <laughs> Now, let me see if I can remember them. Okay. All right. So you have to. <laughs> you haven't been doing your exercise. You have no idea the pressure I'm under as a <laughs> memory right. expert. Come on, let's see. <laughs> let's prove it. So number one is uh, our names and faces. Eighty-five percent of older people complain that you know, gee, I recognize that face, but what's that person's name? And we have techniques for that. Where you misplace common objects. The, as I mentioned before, the tip of the tongue where you, you think you know something and you just can't find that word. And, and then finally, what I often call remembering to remember, to make sure that you don't leave the house without that important folder or magazine or whatever it is you wanted to bring with you or that appointment that's upcoming. And many of these techniques that we teach are very practical, but also are based on something I call Look, Snap, Connect, which is the, the groundwork of any memory tool. Look is a reminder to focus attention. The biggest reason we don't remember is we're simply not paying attention. Snap is a reminder to create a mental snapshot. Our brains are hardwired to remember visually. And finally, Connect is a way of linking up those mental snapshots so they have meaning. If something is meaningful, it will be memorable. Yeah, I, I think that uh, obviously those are, are good points. But I, I think I was I was thinking about this the other day. I have three sons, and I have a problem with I'll tell one a story, and it kind of fits into what we're talking about. And then I and then a few days later, I'm talking to one of my other sons, and it's kind of did I tell you this? I can't remember if I told you or if I told John or if I told Daniel. 
and I, I really can't remember who I told the story to, and one of them will say to me, well, you just told me that story, or you just gave me that information, and I really can't remember. And I think there's that whole thing about um, not really connecting and being yeah. distracted. Well, I think um, it, you, yeah. can, you can correct that with these techniques. So you would have a mental image for each sun. You'd have uh, kind of a, a peg uh, based on some attribute that differentiates them. And you'd create a mental image that represents that story. Uh, you might even use a method, a very old memory method called the Roman room method, that uh, got its name because thousands of years ago, Roman orators would use it to remember the beats in their speeches. And what they do is create one of these snaps or mental image in a familiar part of their room. And they take a walk through the room or a series of rooms. So when I use this technique, I walk from my master bedroom to the hallway to the living room to the kitchen and so forth and so that way you can order the sons and figure out have you told that story before or not do you that's a great idea and something i will practice um dr small what about this i mean i this is something that i made up but i was thinking about this i am 30 years older than my son than my oldest son uh and because i i mean i was kind of defending myself, having forgotten something, and, and we're talking conversation. I sound like I have Alzheimer's, but I don't. Um, and I thought, well, I have 30 more years of information in this brain, so doesn't that have something to do with maybe why I can't remember every little detail of of, of incidences or things that he can remember? Because he only has, do you know what I'm saying? He doesn't. Yeah, I mean, there's there's part of that. There's a lot of there's complexity as to why our memory ability seems to decline as we age. There's a lot more information. We have a lot more to deal with. I remember as a kid, I would just sit around and do nothing and be bored a lot of the time, you know, throw pennies against the wall. I mean, <laughs> how much downtime do we have now? That's We're right. always involved in so many, so many things. I think that affects. And also the physiology of the brain changes, and we've studied this with our brain scanning techniques. At UCLA, we invented the first brain PET scan, that can show the physical evidence of Alzheimer's in living people. And what we find are those abnormal proteins start depositing themselves decades before people have symptoms. So, in a, in a sense, all of us have Alzheimer's in our brain uh, to a subtle degree. And the question is, can we uh, stave off the buildup of those plaques and tangles and the way the onset of symptoms and and the data suggests that if you follow the Alzheimer prevention program you could possibly delay onset of symptoms by four or more years now for many people that could mean never getting the symptoms in their lifetime it wouldn't apply to those people who seem to be diagnosed even in their 50s uh, you know you st- I started reading that well, it, well even even for those those people we've studied for example identical twins so they have the same genetic material, uh, identical. One twin gets Alzheimer's disease, the other t- twin does not. And what's the difference? Their lifestyle, whether they're eating right, exercising, and so forth. And so, oh, you also talk about managing stress. I would imagine that that, that comes into play as well. It's that... a big part of it. We, we know that stress, chronic stress can actually shrink the memory centers of the brain. If you inject a human volunteer with the stress hormone cortisol. They have temporary impairment in their memory. 
And people prone to stress have an increased risk for Alzheimer's. So the prevention program includes lots of different strategies to manage stress. And this, again, is how you can personalize your program. Some people like to meditate. Other people don't. They like more active stress management approaches like Tai Chi, where there's a physical movement involved as well as a mindful component to the exercise. So it's really important to understand yourself, too, as you say, especially if you're going to personalize all of these mental and physical exercises. You really need to understand which yourself and what uh, calms you down. And, you know, I, I know when, when you talk about meditation, my boyfriend of 25 years, has mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he meditates, and I'm always like, what are you doing? And I am, like, so not a meditator, yeah. right? I do other things, some of the other yeah. things you described. So you really have to understand, uh, I guess, your own body, your own mind, and, and um, maybe you need to be in therapy before you begin all of this. Yeah, there are many. Yeah, some yeah. people do need therapy. I mean, they have more serious issues that just taking a walk or meditating does not seem to address. For me, I find physical exercise is very important for me to manage stress. And we know when uh, we exercise, we're getting our hearts to pump oxygen and nutrients to our brain cells. We're secreting chemical messengers that actually get those brain cells to sprout branches and communicate more effectively. But we're also uh, producing endorphins, which are natural antidepressants and analgesics. So we feel better, we have more energy, and we have greater mental clarity. How important is managing or maintaining, actually, maintaining strong emotional connections. How important is that in terms of our mental health? Uh, That's so important. Uh, Studies of successful aging show that loners do not do well. They do not live as long, and uh, they're more prone to depression, physical illness, all kinds of problems. And staying connected gives us a chance to talk about things, put them in perspective, especially if you have the right kinds of connections. And uh, just having conversations with people is a form of mental exercise. One study found that a 10-minute stimulating conversation is better for your brain health than watching a sitcom rerun for 10 minutes. I think another part of that is if you, it's really important to have someone to run things by. Otherwise, it, let's say something that disturbs you or upsets you, just, you know, it doesn't have to be anything catastrophic or a crisis, but mm-hmm. something like, you know, that bothers you. And if you have a, another person to talk to, you kind of get it off your chest, you let go of it and you don't obsess about it. I mean, I have a mother who's in her 80s and uh, her husband died and now she lives alone although she has a lot of people in her life family and friends but she'll say you know things will happen and without anybody really to run things by she can sit and just kind of ruminate over it and uh, which is not good for you and um, so even in kind of simple situations like that you know like I'm describing it's really important to have as much connection with other people as you can it's it's clearly important and what we've done is uh, develop these programs at UCLA, but we've created memory training courses around the country. It's, they're now available in 14 states throughout the U.S., and we're translating them into different languages. And what's great about these classes is there's a social component to it. People help each other. They're, it takes away the stigma of age-related memory decline. And what we've done in the book 
is create a seven-day jumpstart program so people can see how easy it is, they can try out the exercises, and there are assessment tools so they can see themselves improve after just a week. And that is important because that motivates people to continue. If you really want to stave off symptoms of Alzheimer's, one week is not enough. You have to get into brain-healthy habits. What about social media? Do you think that's helpful? I'm, I'm thinking, as you're talking, I'm thinking, well, what about Facebook? I mean, people like, well, say my mother's generation really don't access it too much, but mm-hmm. what about the, you know, the younger generation coming up, 30s, 40s, 50s, who are going to, you know, fall into the elder, you know, old age, I don't like that word, but, you know, as they're aging. Um, yeah. Well, you know, the electronic media and the social uh, media sites have an upside and a downside. I mean, certainly the new gadgets and the connectedness we have is, is important. I mean, we are social animals. We love being connected, and the technology allows us to accelerate that and streamline it and make it available all the time. Uh, that's the upside. The downside, it can distract us from the, the offline world, which I think is tremendously important. And we know that when people use the media email and IMing too much to communicate, their face-to-face communication skills might decline. So a young person may not look you in the eye when you're having a conversation or notice nonverbal cues, which are so important and so subtle. So I think we need to understand how to use this media in a way that enhances our quality of life. And another part of it that we talk about in the book is how there are now new computer programs that actually can improve cognitive performance. And people with mild cognitive impairment can use their computer tools to augment their biological memory. See, I think that's exciting stuff because we most people do have access to computers, and you can just, uh, I guess you can, and, you know, I think you obviously say this in the book in your guide, you kind of have to set up a, a pro, you set up a program for yourself, and it's not a one-shot deal or a one-week, you, you have to do this continually. It becomes part of who you are and part of your routine and part of your exercise. Well, we were uh, very conscious of trying to help people to change, and I think there's several components to that. One is to educate. When you know there's a connection between behavior and brain health, you're more inclined to change your behavior. So understanding that is very important. The second step is to create a program that is easy and not overwhelming. And asking somebody to try something for a week, uh, it only takes about a half hour or 20 minutes a day, that's, that's doable. And the third component is to give them feedback, you know, pat on the back, look how you're doing well. And that's where the assessment tools in the book come in. Very practical book, practical guide. Uh, Also, you mentioned the seven-day plan. What is that? Well, that that is essentially the Jumpstart program where people are advised on what to do every day for seven days. So here's the meal plan. Uh, here's the exercise in the morning and the afternoon, and what it does, it builds up your memory skills. It builds up your cardiovascular conditioning, helps you with stress management exercises, combines all these different strategies into one week. So you get a sense of, oh, I like this menu item, and I don't like this one. So you can begin to change your life and change your brain, because you do. We've studied how the brain 
wires fire differently after just a week. Dr. Small, now we're talking about prevention, and it's the prevention, uh, Alzheimer's prevention program, and the key word is prevention. What about after someone has, just spend a few moments uh, talking about this, but what about when someone has actually been diagnosed maybe in the beginning stages of Alzheimer's? Is there any, can they, is there any possible way for them to slow the process by using this prevention plan or, or not, or once it's, you know, if, if yeah, it's once they've not, been diagnosed. Yeah, we haven't studied that systematically as much as uh, for people with milder memory complaints, but I have a lot of clinical experience with people like that. UCLA have a memory maintenance program, and people come in, they see me, they see our psychologists, and they get a very comprehensive assessment, and we follow them. And so somebody say with mild Alzheimer's, I might put them on a symptomatic drug to treat that, but then I will also assess their diet, their physical exercise program, whether they're maintaining social contacts, and I'll put them on a personalized Alzheimer's prevention program that works for them. Now, we're not really preventing the symptoms, but we're using the same kind of strategy. And I find that People, when they combine the non-medical approaches with the medical approaches, they do better longer. Uh, well, this leads me probably to my last question because we have a couple minutes left. But, yeah, the success of, you know, the people that you've seen who have followed the program, um, who are engaged in reading the book and, and, and as you say, um, well, following the program, uh, you know, at home, on their computers, um, how have they done? I mean, what's the response? Do people find it easy to do. I, I assume, it, it, to me, it looks like so doable, not overwhelming. I think it's hard for people if a program seems too overwhelming or demands too much of them. Yeah, and I it's, think, yeah. it's fun. It's easy. The response has been uh, really gratifying to see so many people getting so much help. I mean, what the person who tends to go for a book like this often has a family history of Alzheimer's they, or they've seen it in friends. They're concerned about their own memory slips or middle-age pauses or senior moments, and they find that very quickly they start feeling better. And that really gets people motivated. And, and this has been studied by uh, behavior scientists that people want to feel good right away. That's, that's something that will motivate them. The idea of living another extra year longer at the end of life, that's too far in, in the future. But if they follow the program, that may well happen. Yeah, we want immediate gratification. Exactly. That's how our brains are wired. <laughs> That's how our brains are wired. I won't argue with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> we want to do it now, and we want to see the results now. Exactly. Uh, well, I mean, to me, this is just all good stuff. I mean, just for your brain, for your body, just for a healthy lifestyle. And it seems to me, I mean, I, I have so many guests on the show, and we talk about this all the time. Uh, somehow, Americans, we've just kind of deteriorated in this such an unhealthy lifestyle, whether it comes to food or exercises and all the things that we're doing that are not helpful to our brains or our bodies. Your book seems to, like, get us on the right track. Um, the Alzheimer's Prevention Program, Keep Your Brain Healthy for the Rest of Your Life, Dr. Gary Small. Give us a website that we can go to. Please visit me at drgarysmall.com, drgarysmall.com. Great. Great talking to you, Dave. Thank you, Gary. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, that was Dr. Gary Small. And coming up next is uh, Bruce Rosen. He's author, If You Ever Need Me, I'll Be There. That's, uh, uh, he calls himself a, a, a tour guide on this journey of what it means to be alive. 
You're listening to The Catherine Zock Show, and I'm Catherine Zock, your social worker with a microphone, voiceamericavariety.com, and World Talk Radio. Don't go away, because we'll be back in a minute. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. If you're a golf enthusiast and looking for some great golf properties in the desert southwest, you'll want to make the Golf Realty Network your weekly stop. Hosted by Jane and Al Anderson, the Golf Realty Network is all about living where you play, on the golf side. You'll hear from the course pros and vendors, while the real estate side will bring you the top agents and brokers who know how to market or find your golf community home. Tune in to the Golf Realty Network, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety, and rebroadcast weekly on Voice America Sports. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Listen to us every Wednesdays live, 10 to 11, and we archive the show at the end of the day. So joining me this morning is Bruce Rosen. His new book is If You Ever Need Me, I Won't Be Far Away. It's a new, uh, described as a new memoir, finds joy amidst life's lessons. So we're going to get some life's lessons from Bruce, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Nice to be on, Catherine. Great to have you on. Okay, that's quite a book. Um, um, I almost finished it, so, <laughs> um, and I will finish it on the rest of my vacation. But let's talk about this because uh, it's really your life's journey, um, your memoir. And uh, as I was reading it, obviously, I'm getting all of um, it. Gives me an understanding and makes me think about myself and how what I'm doing and and um, what I. Perhaps shouldn't be doing, but um, what is the what's the overall message of your book? Would you say what do you want us to get out of it, get from it? Um, I think there were there are many interwoven themes uh, throughout the book. Uh, certainly, the the choices that we make, the prices we pay for the choices we make, the the fact that 
that uh, that um, there are many things that we uh, would like to hang on to in our lives, and sometimes we we just have to let them pass and move on. Uh, that regret is something that uh, is is necessary to our to inform our choices, but isn't something that we should dwell on and um, not get and not get over because it interferes with living a full and complete and, and joyful life. Um, you know, I mean, I think there are there are many many themes in it. The the uh, uh, continuing to be able to love a person after the marriage contract is over, uh, overcoming, uh, uh, de- dealing with grief and overcoming it, and and moving forward forward with joy and passion and, and a sense of uh, fulfillment of life and the desire to fulfill life creatively and in every possible way. I think um, uh, uh, it, it, the the experience of a difficult uh, sometimes uh, uh, abusive uh, um, uh, uh, father, uh, and realizing uh, the, hum- the humanity behind that, the fact that that he was growing up along with his family and, and forgiving, but not not forgetting, uh, and overcoming that, uh, the, the powerful relationships that you develop in your life uh, with family and friends, the joy and thrill of of living your life as fully as possible. Uh, and in terms of the marriage, uh, the, you know, my marriage, uh, a, a love that uh, I will always have and uh, a, a sense of family that we will always have that, it, that for various reasons um, uh, didn't continue um, in the way it started but, but continues as a friendship, and a deep and lasting uh, a bond, um, you know, even after the marriage. I think it's important for people to understand that that um, there are reasons one falls in love with another person, and uh, just because um, life's paths diverge doesn't mean that those reasons uh, suddenly, you know, uh, disappear. Yeah, well, you mentioned, se- I mean, you mentioned several themes throughout the book, and uh, if you ever need me, I won't be far away. Seems to describe kind of those scenarios that mm-hmm. that, that you just mentioned. But so let's kind of be like now go through this and be really maybe more specific because you had you're very close to your mother you had an abusive father you had a, a, a marriage that lasted a long time but then you ended up getting divorced so you've had a lot of uh, loss and and pain as well as a lot of the good stuff you have what two sons that you live with in san francisco well they're um, actually in new york and, and, and uh, oh they're in new york yeah they, well they grew up here in san francisco and they're they they went to grad school and they went to their colleges in new york and they're living in New York now. Oh, okay. So let's start kind of from the beginning because um, I, I think your kind of your memoir describes a lot of our lives, and I think the whole idea of how one copes with disappointment and loss, and uh, as well as the good stuff, uh, is I always get so much from hearing somebody else's story or reading a story like yours. But um, I want to talk about your relationship with your mother because it sounds like almost a little bit like I mean there is like you. I don't want to say idolize, but boy, she was your heroine, and um, obviously, um, and how important that was to you, and probably to your how you were able to manage all the kind of the the, the disappointments or the abusive father um, and all the other stuff in your life. Yes, well, my mom um, was a very basic, down-to-earth person. Um, didn't go to the, the, the you know the, the great colleges, uh, but 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 one of the probably one of the wisest people one will ever meet. For me, she was uh, or or could have met 
uh, for me, she was a mother and a, and a mentor and a teacher and a and a guide and and, and a friend and and um, and you know I loved her very deeply. I guess if the Great Spirit had said to me before I entered the world, uh, you know, it said, you know, you're gonna you're gonna come into the world with a father that would be difficult and and painful and 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 not uh, not warm and and nurturing, but uh, to balance that, you're gonna have a mother that would be. Uh, filled with compassion and love and, and wisdom, um, and so there'll be ups and downs, but you'll have a mother like this, but you have to have a father, you know, and this isn't to say my father was the most horrible person on earth. I mean, he, he was a good, hard-working person in many ways, but but uh, just just didn't uh, oftentimes value the, the val- uh, cherish the values of of, of, of raise, you know, of the love of a, of a family growing up. But if a, but if the Great Spirit had said that, I would have I would have taken my mom. Now my mom, I mean I would have taken coming into this life with that balance. Uh, my mom uh, had to uh, raise a you know I, I could speak at length about her, but basically when my father left at the eight, when we were sixteen and and he, he went uh, back to Canada and we were in California, my mom had to raise us in in some way, and she fell back upon an incredible gift. Uh, that she had that was discovered very early in life uh, when she was a child growing up in Canada, in Toronto, uh, and the gift was being a very, very, very psychic. And uh, she, uh, you know, as a, in her, she, she read teacups for friends when we were small children and little parties, and, and when she was a child, she would tell people things that they just couldn't believe uh, a young, a young uh, girl could possibly know. And uh, so then, uh, when my father left, she, uh, you know, had to find a way to, to to make a living. And so she relied on this gift, and she would read for people, you know, she, 10, 15, 20 people a day sometimes, and she would read for the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich and the uh, rich and famous, you know, people like Marlon Brando and other actors uh, would come to her, and she would read for the people that just needed to hear some inspiration and truth about their lives and she would do it for free and um but so and did I your mother your mother used raised, to that growing up she raised you and your siblings she was the Pardon one me? she your mother was the one who supported you after your father mm-hmm. left exactly yeah and how many siblings did you have uh two brothers and a sister two brothers so there was a lot of you and uh um she did this all on her own yes she did Yes, she did, and and, uh, and and she did it through this through this gift that she had. So, at the point where your father left, because I mean, this is uh, unfortunately this is a story that that many people have gone through, and um, I mean, you you called him abusive. I'm just wanted you to be specific about abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, or or both. Well, I would say um, first, let me say that that that. Um, he worked hard. He did try to, uh, you know, bring home uh, uh, the wherewithal, you know, for a family. But but he was um, physically. He would, and and one can one can can ascribe it to the to the ethos of the uh, generation before mine that you know they think it would be uh, the best way to to uh, teach your children a lesson would be to you know if they do something wrong the first idea would be to to hit them for it and. And uh, sometimes, I mean, he would punish us that way. But oftentimes, he would he would uh, lose control and 
and you know, and smash you in the face now and then with, uh, you know, um, in a, sometimes unexpectedly. So there was that kind of abuse. I remember my mom standing between the two of us on occasion as I started to grow up, realizing I wasn't going to, you know, I was, I, I'd reached a point where I wasn't going to, uh, to take that anymore. So I, I, I was willing to stand up and, and let them know you're not going to do that again. And so, I, you know, I have some memories of my mom standing between the two of us uh, as I started to grow up. Bruce Springsteen writes a, a couple of songs about that and his relationship with his father that, that I later sort of identified with. Um, and then, um, you know, emotionally abusive, just in the sense that, that uh, it's just, you know, not a lot of, 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 of hugging and, yeah. and, and affection. Yeah, not a lot of giving and, 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 and nurturing, affection. I guess it sounds like. Yeah. Well, you know, the real thing, I think one of the things or one of the themes of the book is that, you know, how you forgive and go on and do well. It's not, you know, which is what you've been able to do. Um, you know, all the loss and the stress and, and yeah, you had your mother's support. Because I think that's what people kind of, uh, at least I'm interested in, like, how do you forgive? I mean, how do you forgive that kind of a relationship with your father? So many people can't let go of that kind of stuff. Well, just... I think you see the humanity. And you realize, you, you know, that, the, that there's so much you share. And you have a lot of the, the same DNA. And you realize that we're all trying ultimately to be the best people we can be, and we have ch- many. We all have challenges, and I think love ultimately is the strongest emotion, the most powerful emotion, you know, the driving emotion in our lives. And it, it's just not healthy to hang on to anger and to not let go. And I think it's very important to recognize the humanity in the other person, to also recognize that we're not perfect, that, well, that, that, that we can't, you Well, know, I think expect. having your own children does that. Definitely. <laughs> it really brings all of that Definitely. into play, and that was my next question. How has that affected your role as a father to your two sons? Well, like I, felt, having to, yeah. I felt growing up that I, I, I would say to myself, and I, would, you know, and I would say to my mom, but more often I would say to myself, when I have... Uh, kids one day, I, I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to learn from how my father treated me so I know how I want to treat my kids. And I'll try to take what's good from our, my relationship with my father, but I will also really remember the things that, that gave me a lot of pain and a lot of hurt, and I'll try not to, 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 in, you know, to in, include that in my relationship and to, to really try to be uh, there for them to, to, to take them to, to be at their events, to nurture their lives, to, to, to do what I can uh, to make their lives uh, the most complete and fulfilled and, and loved and cherished lives because you grow up with that and you become, I think when you grow up with love and you grow up with affection, you grow up with attention. And I don't mean to be obsessed. It wasn't, you know, I mean, you can take it too far and to know, that, and to know the balance as well and you have to let go. And sometimes that's difficult. Let so it what go. Have been, Bruce, what have been some of your biggest mistakes, would you say, given all of this and your insight, which you obviously you have a lot of, um, like in, in raising your own family? Because obviously, okay, you had a, we can take it in terms of your marriage, as you just mentioned at the beginning of the interview. You know, it was a good marriage. It went well, but it evolved into something that didn't work for both of you. So um, something, is there anything that you could have done, do you think, to have, uh, prevented your, the breakup of your marriage, or is there any other mistakes that you may want to share with us that you've done with your own sons as a result of your upbringing? I think, I think the breakup, you know, I, 
we went to therapy and 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 we, and we recognized that that there was a turning point here and it was it wasn't just me it was it was on on both sides that um we we were we were going to take a step back and see how it all unfolded and and to try to force it to stay together at at a time when we were um perhaps evolving in in different ways uh would have been extremely difficult and and would have been at this point the kids were going off to college and it was something we were resolving ourselves and it would have been more i think difficult and 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 uh, and and painful to try to keep something together that that felt that it 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 that it needed to evolve so i think in looking back on that i'm not i don't as i say i don't have regrets and i don't have difficulties about that uh not continuing because the relationship continues in a in an extremely positive powerful way i do have sadness that we didn't keep it together as the, as the as the as the most as the traditional mother and father uh and parents uh, although we all get together when we get home uh, and of course there is a, a little bit of sadness with that in terms of 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 um and of course and, and i want to send out the message that that try as hard as you can communicate all you can because marriages are, are wonderful and, and families are, are are the treasures of our lives and it's and if you can't keep it together, then it doesn't mean that the family can't continue in a, in a very, very loving way, and, and we recognize the, the bonds that we share. In terms of, of, of raising my kids, I think really it's hard for me to find uh, many things that, or, or very, uh, very many things that, I've, uh, that, that we, we didn't do well. We, we did, we, 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 perhaps that was one of the things that, that, that that maybe made it difficult for us to stay together because we became more like like friends rather than than romantic partners because we gave, we did do so much for it we did try so so hard for our kids I guess maybe the uh, one what, message can I for do, me well, I would, yeah I want to just ask you what do you think your kids would say because I you know about yeah, I'm getting, I want to I think the one message for me is that I I found it difficult to let. I let them go. I let them travel. I let them go off. I let them do the things they, you know, that they wanted to do in, in raising their lives. But I think I, I, I perhaps have had a bit too much fear in terms of letting them go off into the world, asking them to check in with me as much as they can, um, you know, letting them go. Yeah, well, I and mean, that's a common problem, I think, or particularly maybe I, I say maybe in this day and age as well. I mean, letting go and and separate separation is difficult, um, and you know it's a slow process. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest parental challenges. I would say letting go of your kids. Uh, but what do you think they'd say about you? I mean, each one of them, you know, you have two boys. Each one is different. Well, I'd have... say I tell you what they'd say is what they have said, <laughs> and what they have said is you know. Dad, I, I just think you're a fantastic dad, uh, and it, both have said that recently, um, and that that you know that they 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 really uh, want to use me, not use me, but but see me in a way that 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 will inform their own lives in terms of how to be a good parent, and that ultimately is the is the greatest compliment I could ever get from my kids. They they did say when we were going through the difficulties in our marriage, they said, Dad. One of them came to me and said, "Dad, this is um, this is extremely painful for you and Mom, and I think you should separate for a while." And 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 I and I really resisted it because I didn't want to give them any kind of pain. And when one of when they came and they both spoken about this, and when they came, you know, and said, "We think that this is something you two should do," I, I you know, and in a way, it, was, it gave us permission to do it. And and 
and um, uh, you know help me feel that that I could t- we could take that next step. Yeah. Well, as you're describing your family, it's interesting. I'm getting a picture. It, you know, you said something uh, not a traditional family, but I don't know. Maybe you are more traditional now, today, t- 2012 or 2013 coming up. Um, that you are a you know with all of what's happened to you, um, you are and you are. You are divorced, and you are close to your your sons, and so you are a fa- you know you. It's not that you don't have that family; you have a different model for a close mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is, and it's kind of evolved into that, or at least that's what it sounds like. Um, True, and we were married many, many years. It's you know we were married you know twenty some odd years. Yeah, which is a long yeah. It's yeah. I mean, talk about letting go. That's. Yeah. Very difficult to let go to be able to do that after twenty what twenty five years as you said. Yeah. Um, okay, you know we only have a few minutes left, so we want to kind of give up. What, what do we want to take from all of this? I mean, this is like I mean, this you're very not just in your family life, but it sounds like you're also you're successful a business person, and I didn't even mention that an investment officer at a major financial right. firm by day and an award winning writer by night. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, um, that's true, and, I, and writing is, has always been very, very important uh, as, as part of my life and, 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 and who I am. Well, um, shortly after writing this book, uh, I was asked to write an article for a magazine called Personal Excellence, and, and to my bewilderment, they wound up putting me on the cover of it <laughs> earlier, the, earlier this year after I, after I wrote this piece. And I, they, they wanted me to write a piece. They, they'd read the book or read parts of it and thought there were some really great messages in it, and they wanted me to write this piece. So I wrote this piece called um, Finding Joy Amid Life's Lessons, um, uh, you know, how to find joy despite the obstacles. And I gave them six you know, basically several ways, and one was to let joy in, to allow yourself to feel joy. Number two uh, was to give and receive gracefully. Number three was uh, repent, learn, let go of regret and guilt, and move on. The next one was do what you love, even in small ways, in any way possible. The next was to laugh more. Uh, you're a child when you're young, but you're also a child when you're in your 20s and 30s, 70s and 80s and beyond. And then um, let go of your cares and worries. We we take our cares and worries seriously, but you have to also take yourself lightly. And so I describe those, you know, those six elements, and you could think of many more. But I think if we uh, pay attention to to these uh, and just let ourselves experience joy. Joy is our birthright, and, and, and it's there for us. And let us not, you know, dwell on, I mean, it's important to, to make decisions. It's important to learn from other people's decisions. It's important to try. It's important to be conscious. But it's also important to let ourselves evolve and give ourselves the opportunity to experience joy. Do you think you are able to do that? I mean, giving that's great advice, and especially mm-hmm. that laughter one, because I think as people get older, they forget to laugh, to let go, and just laugh. Yeah. And to, yeah, I mean, exactly. that's so important. Besides experiencing the joy and um, and letting go of, of the guilt and the regret and all of that kind of stuff, do you think after a while it becomes, if you practice this and you do this, it becomes spontaneous? It becomes your way of life. You don't have to think about it. Well, you know, I really need to let go of this. I shouldn't be so angry. Why do I feel so guilty? It just it becomes well, we have to of... give ourselves permission to feel all these things. And yeah. once we allow ourselves to have 
these feelings and give ourselves permission to have these things, they do become spontaneous. You don't necessarily feel them all at the same time, but they do give you, uh, you know, I mean, we give ourselves the right to experience these things and, and try to let go of regret and guilt, and yes, they do come natural. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true, and I think if you just begin today by doing it, and I think obviously your book and, and us talking about it is, is a good time, because during the holiday season, it tends to be not the most joyous time for people, right. unfortunately, statistically, but the most difficult time, and when all of these issues, you know, all of the regrets and all of the guilt and all of the kind of the stuff that makes you feel bad seems to emerge because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have to deal with family members sometimes that you don't see all year round. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, financial stress, all of those kinds of things. So I right. think talking about this now is very timely, and, and, and your advice is, uh, is well taken. Um, so if we go online, uh, do, you, do you have a website? or do you Yes, you can. You can uh, there are a number of uh, interviews, and there have been a few TV programs and various things and articles written and other radio interviews and a whole bunch of things on the website at Alma Rose, A-L-M-A-R-O-S-E, publishing.com and the book uh, if you ever need me I won't be far away is certainly available on on Amazon and on the website and then various uh, bookstores on you know and distributors so Alma Rose was your mom that was her name yeah uh, so if you ever need me did I, we didn't really answer that I won't be far away does that what does that refer to this is the last if question you ever we got one me, minute I won't be far away are the words that my mom gave me shortly before she passed okay and you know and she said I'll always be there on the other side for you. Great. Well, it's been great talking to you this morning, and uh, I recommend the book, uh, If You Ever Need Me, I Won't Be Far Away. Great title. And uh, Bruce Rosen, have a great holiday. Thank you, Catherine, and it's been a, a pleasure um, being there to this morning. Thank you. Uh, that was Bruce Rosen, If You Ever Need Me, I Won't Be Far Away. You can buy it online, bookstores everywhere, or I've actually been reading it on my iPad. Um, I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. Listen to us live every Wednesday uh, from 9 to 10, and we archive the show at the end of the day. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.